This is Larry Lennon-Schmidt, host of Hill Country Institute Live. I would like to invite you to an evening with Richard Walker to discuss the ideas in his book, and which we'll be discussing in this program, The Death of Humanity and the Case for Life. Monday evening, April 10th, 7 p.m. at the Lakeway Church, 2203 Lakeway Boulevard in Lakeway, Texas. For additional information, please call 512-680-7993. Welcome to Hill Country Institute Live, the program that brings you together with Christian ministry leaders, authors, pastors, and others to discuss major issues of your day. I'm Larry Lennon-Schmidt, your host, and I thank you for joining with us today as we seek to encourage and equip followers of Jesus Christ to show His heart and mind in all that we do. Our guest today is a professor who teaches and works in a secular environment, yet writes and speaks on the truth of the gospel in that setting. He is an author and frequent speaker and debater on the issue of what it means to be human. Are humans just a machine? Are we just another animal, maybe even the animal which should be thinned out because of our destruction of the planet? How did Darwinism impact Hitler? How do we respond to the new atheists on the question of the importance of the human person and meaning in life? Should babies who will be born, or even who have been born with disabilities, be killed? So stay with us. This is a large topic, a huge topic, which impacts us all in so many ways, and this is going to be a thought-provoking time. We invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, to hear podcasts of our past radio programs on topics including faith and work, science and art, fighting human trafficking, and much more. Speakers have included Oz Guinness, Andy Crouch, Mayor Ivy Taylor of San Antonio, Catherine Leary Olsdorf, and others who are leaders in aspects of faith and culture. The website also offers audio and video from our past conferences and seminars on many faith and culture topics, including the works of C.S. Lewis. And some of the speakers include Alistair McGrath and Walter Kaiser, Dallas Willard, and many more. Our radio programs are also available on iTunes as Hill Country Institute Live. The program is supported by donations, and you can donate to support this program at hillcountryinstitute.org or by calling 512-680-7993. For donations over $100, we have a copy of our featured guest's book, The Death of Humanity and the Case for Life by Richard Weichert. Visit hillcountryinstitute.org for donations, and please contact us if you would like to sponsor this program. Now let's welcome our special guest, Richard Weichert. Richard, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Richard, uh, you know, I've, I've got quite a bit of in your bio. We know you've been teaching at uh, California State University in Stanislaw, and uh, you earned your Ph.D. in 1994. You've, you've published six books, and most recently the book we'll be talking about today, The Death of Humanity and the Case for Life. Uh, you're a fellow at the Discovery Institute, and uh, you've published many articles and review essays and, and uh, other articles and reviews in scholar, scholarly journals. And one interesting personal thing, I understand that you've got a, just a house full of kids. Is that right? Yes, I have seven children. Uh, their ages are now 27 down to age 10 now, so quite a spread. Well, and, and talking about the, the importance of life and the sanctity of life, uh, all, you, all you have to do is go home and see how, how sanctified and good life is, don't you? Yes, they're a blessing to me, yeah. Yeah. Well, Richard, we're, we're, we're talking about this, this topic of the human person and how the Christian view is, is high of the human person, and maybe the secular views are, are a little different. And as we develop that idea, I'm just, I'm just curious, what, what led you to explore this topic and to write this book? 
Well, I've been concerned about issues relating to uh, pro-life issues, uh, abortion, infanticide, uh, and then uh, more recently euthanasia and such uh, for many years. Uh, And as I studied modern European intellectual history, which was one of my main fields in my Ph.D. work uh, that I did, it became apparent to me that... Uh, There were a lot of secular thinkers over the past couple of centuries, especially since the Enlightenment period in the 18th century, who were undermining the dignity of human life, who were undermining the idea that there's any kind of objective morality or human rights. Uh, And so uh, as I was uh, thinking about some of these issues, uh, well, I've been thinking about these issues for, you know, quite a number of years, and I've been writing on uh, certain specific elements of it. I've written on elements of evolutionary ethics and how it's uh, undermined ideas about human rights and such. Uh, But interestingly, the way I got thinking about this particular book and constructing it in the way that I did is because I was invited to give a talk to a a Christian uh, organization on my campus, and when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, what, what is it that I can share with them uh, that will really be important and sort of pull together things that I've done in my scholarly life and scholarly career that will, could impact them? And what I, the talk that I gave was entitled, I think if I got the title right, was, Are You the Image of God or a Cosmic Accident? Mm. And so that was sort of the way I pitched the, the talk and then talked about the, the fact that a lot of secular philosophies today are telling us that we as humans are just a cosmic accident, that we're just the product of millions upon millions of copying mistakes, that's called mutations, uh, that have taken place over eons of time, and that so essentially we're just a colossal mistake. And so as I thought, started thinking about those kind of issues, that got me thinking about how I could pull together material that I'd been teaching and thinking about for a long time and sort of pull it together in a coherent uh, book form in dealing with how these secular philosophies have undermined the Judeo-Christian sanctity of life ethic, and thus led us into a, what some people are calling today a culture of death, whereby abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia are becoming increasingly accepted. Sure, and the and the value of the human person and the image of God is 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 lost in in that shuffle, isn't it? Oh, exactly. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's pretty much the point I've been trying to make is that you know this notion that that the the Christian and the Jewish worldview has started off with the creation of humans uh, in the image of God, and because of that, humans have special value and special purpose. Uh, And we see this enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, even though Jefferson himself was something of a deist, he still did believe there was some kind of God, and he still believed there was some kind of morality, and so, you know, enshrined there in the Declaration of Independence is the notion that uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with unalienable rights among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But over the past couple of centuries, since the Declaration of Independence, uh, there's been a lot of secular ideology that has tried to chip away at that, those whole notions. First of all, the notion that we're created, then the notion that we're equal, and then the notion that there is any kind of human rights, and one of those rights being the right to life. So all of those ideas that are enshrined there in the Declaration of Independence in that particular statement are being undermined by a whole host of secular ideologies. And again, it's not just one or two things. It's uh, 
I, I cover in my book, uh, Death of Humanity, I cover materialism, positivism, utilitarianism, uh, Freudian psychology, behaviorist psychology, evolutionary psychology, Darwinism, socialism, fascism. I cover a whole host of isms, just about all the secular isms that have come about since the Enlightenment period to try to show how they have uh, undermined this idea that humans have dignity and value. Well, you know, some, sometimes for people who aren't dealing regularly in the isms, uh, they can, it can be a little bit intimidating and maybe not clear as to what some of those meanings really are. Uh, I think maybe maybe it would be helpful to, to really define what secularism, materialism, and Darwinianism mean, because those are, those are so central in your thought. And we, we may come across some others later, but could you talk about those three particularly and what you mean when you use those terms? Yeah, I use the word secularism a good bit in my book because uh, I, I'm sort of lumping a couple of groups together in that term. The term secularism I use to denote those who deny that there is a God or at least deny that there's a God that has any kind of influence on the world. So this would include atheists who are people who deny that there is any kind of God at all. It would also include agnostics, that is, people who claim that no, there might be a God, but he doesn't really, that we can't know about him, or if he, even if he's out there, we, he doesn't really do anything or have any impact on the world. So when I'm using the word secularism, I'm talking about people who believe that pretty much the, the physical universe that we have is all that we have, or at least all that we can know about, or at least all that we can have any kind of knowledge about. So that's what I mean when I use the term secularism. And then mm-hmm. uh, I've already just defined there also atheism and agnosticism. And by the way, agnosticism has a couple of different forms to it, too. When the word agnosticism was actually uh, originally uh, put forward in the middle of the 19th century as a designation uh, for a particular position, it actually meant someone who upheld the belief that uh, we can't really know about God. And that's, by the way, also uh, a term known as positivism also holds that same belief. Positivism and agnosticism, in the strong sense of agnosticism, believes that we can't know anything about God, that it's impossible to know about God. So the only thing we can know is what science tells us. So again, it's it's basically just what the material world has there. And because of this, my first chapter of my book is entitled Man the Machine. And actually, I got this title from uh, a French materialist thinker in the middle of the 18th century, in the Enlightenment, uh, whose name was Julien Delamatrie. And Delamatrie wrote a book called man the machine, because he saw humans as being nothing more than a machine, so we can just explain humans as a machine. My second chapter goes on to talk about, uh, is called created from animals, which is a term that Darwin himself used, because it shows that uh, Darwin saw humans as being nothing more than an animal. And so again, these are different ways that human dignity is being stripped away and under uh, the value of life being undermined by constraining humans as either just machines or just animals. And then I go on from there in the book and talk about uh, some ideas that have spun off of those basic concepts, uh, especially the ideas of biological determinism, which is the idea that all human behavior is ultimately determined by our heredity, by our biological makeup. Uh, so, you know, that if you've heard uh, people talk about, uh, you know, that, that human behavior is just controlled by your hormones and neurotransmitters and chemicals and things like that. In fact, there was a guy that came to my university, a biologist, a biology professor, who came to my university a couple of years ago to give a little talk about his book that he had just published, which was called... Uh, 
my cells made me do it. And so his argument was that there is no such thing as free will, that, you know, it's just our cellular interactions that cause our all human behavior. And then I go on from there to talk about environmental determinism as well, which is a different view of human behavior, but still based on a materialistic worldview, or at least secularist worldview. That is, that everything's determined by our environment, by your by your upbringing, by uh, environmental influences of various sorts. And so I talk about a number of the secular ideologies that buy into that idea of environmental determinism. That humans, again, it's just, and the idea behind all of this is that humans are either just machines or just animals, just physical, in other words, that there's nothing spiritual, there's no free will, uh, there's no moral response. There's no uh, objective morality or moral responsibility or anything uh, in humans either. Sure. It's a reductionist. It just, it just takes us down to physical components, sure. doesn't it? Exactly. And I use the word redu- I explain the word reductionism also in, in the, the opening uh, intro, if I, if I recall correctly. So, yeah, and reductionism is just the idea that humans are reduced to their physical components. Yeah. Sure. And reductionism is a, is a, is a corollary or form of materialism, isn't it? Well, yes, it flows from either material, a secular viewpoint in any case, because agnostics a lot of times end up being reductionists too. A lot of agnostics will say, well, I don't know if there's a God or not, or we can't know if there's a God or not. But ultimately, when they do, when they make that move, they still end up reducing everything down because they don't think there's any spiritual side to humanity. Yeah, it, it, it takes away the, the sense of uh, where, where does the poetry come from? Where does the, the connection, the love uh, come from? Can you explain that? Oh, yeah, exactly. In fact, a lot, yeah. lot of them just, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of them will just out and out deny that there is any such thing called love. I mean, love is just a, they'll say it's just a product of, uh, you know, your neurotransmitters, you know, causing you to have some kind of emotion or whatever. And so they'll, a lot of them just very forthrightly do uh, take a reductionist stance on even things like love and aesthetics and everything else. It's, yes, yeah, all just the product of our, uh, you know, our, our biological brain. Sure. The good, the true, and the beautiful uh, is, is difficult to explain, or you have to just pretty much write it off if you can't quantify it and measure it, is, don't you? That's right. And one mm-hmm. thing I try to do in my book, too, is I try to show that even uh, scientists and uh, other thinkers who take this kind of reductionist viewpoint and, and try to reduce everything down, you know, love, just try to sort of boil down love to just being a bunch of, uh, you know, their neuro, the product of their neurotransmitters, they don't really live their life like that. I mean, they, they, there's a lot of contradictions uh, that emerge when you start uh, looking at these kinds of things, because when these scientists go home from their lab, you know, they don't treat their wife as though, you know, she's just that, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I just love her because of the evolutionary past has programmed me, you know, to, you know, have these particular feelings toward her so that I can reproduce and get my genes into the next generation. That's how they try to explain it, you know, when they're trying to write their books about, you know, biological determinism and, you know, evolutionary psychology and all these other kinds of things in which I explain in my book and such. But, you know, when they go home from the lab, you know, they don't live that way. They recognize that they're is some value to human life. Let me give you just one example of, of how uh, I see this in, in one person that I think particularly illustrates this kind of thing. Jerry Coyne is an evolutionary biologist at the University of Chicago. And Jerry Coyne uh, has written in his uh, book Fact versus Faith, where he tries to uh, combat all forms of religion, essentially. Uh, he makes the claim that euthanasia is. Uh, something that we should consider and is valid because 
he says, we, after all, we have compassion on dogs and we put them down, you know, we euthanize them when they're facing, you know, suffering and stuff, you know, at the end of their lives and such. And so why shouldn't we do that for humans? And so basically he equates, you know, animals and humans there and then tries to, you know, erode the distinction between animals and humans. And there are a lot of uh, biologists that try to do that, and not just biologists, but a lot of secular thinkers that try to erode that distinction between humans and animals. But if I ask Jerry Coyne, but by the way, Elsewhere in his book, he presents a very progressive kind of uh, a political stance and moral stance and such. And so if I went to Jerry Coyne and I told Jerry, hey, look, Jerry, why don't we uh, go to New York City and why don't we uh, round up all of the unemployed people that are, you know, lounging around in the streets of New York City and why don't we uh, sterilize all of them and then we'll just lock them up uh, and see if people will give them homes, and if people give them homes, then we'll release them, but if people won't give them homes, then we'll just euthanize them. Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry Coyne would erupt in, in no, no, that's, that's, no, that's not humane, that's not, and why would he do that? Because, and by the way, that's what I just described there was exactly how we treat dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we do to dogs. Stray dogs, we round them up, we, we, uh, cat, we, uh, uh, spay or neuter them, and we uh, then put them in a pound until someone gives them a home, and if no one gives them a home, we euthanize them. Sure. You know, so, but Jerry Coyne realizes that humans and dogs aren't the same, and that they shouldn't be treated the same way, if he really, if you really thinks about it, if he really admits it. And I think most of these secular thinkers have these places where they, they really realize that humans do have value, but then they, they, they want to claim overtly that they don't. And because of that, we do end up uh, eroding the value of human life, even though uh, it would be eroded even further if they lived consistently with their worldview. I'm, I'm very glad that they don't live consistently with their worldview in many ways. But unfortunately, these worldviews are dragging us down, and people are starting to become more consistent with them, at least in some cases. Uh, and I give some rather uh, spectacular cases of this, too, uh, such as the Columbine shootings, where if you read the, the journals of Eric Harris, one of the perpetrators of the Columbine shootings back in the 90s, uh, he's very clear that uh, he uh, has uh, an ideology that is shaped by Nietzsche and Darwin, and he wrote he wore a T-shirt natural selection on the day that he uh, went uh, to sure. perpetrate his crime and such. Mm-hmm. And so there's some people that are, you know, taking these uh, ideologies to uh, extremes. <clears throat> uh, thankfully, not everyone is, because, again, there's... Uh, they still have sparks of humanity in them very often. I try to show these different contradictions in my book uh, between the, the secular thinkers and the way that they actually live. Well, it is, it is a difficult uh, thing to, to live consistently with that viewpoint when you have people in life that you have relationship with. And there's the part sure. of us, wherever, wherever one thinks it comes from, that cares for that poor homeless person. Uh, and and right. unless, you're, unless you're really trying to live out, uh, you know, uh, uh, Darwinian evolution combined with a niche, Nietzsche's view of uh, the strong man, the Uber mentioned, then uh, it becomes very difficult to, to sure. manage that, doesn't it? Sure, exactly. And, and you know, C.S. Lewis pointed out that a lot of the people who deny objective morality are really often trying to undermine Christian morality – 
so they can substitute their own form of morality for it. This, a lot, in a lot of cases, they actually do have some moral norms that they're wanting to uphold. They're not really wanting to get rid of everything, but they're wanting to get rid of the Judeo-Christian moral standards, but then they want to sneak in their own... They, they say they're moral relativists, but then they're trying to sneak in their own relativistic standards. And, you know, I give some examples in my book, too, like Bertrand Russell was a very powerful example of this. Bertrand Russell claimed that when he, when he talked about what morality is, he claimed that morality Morality was just an emotion uh, that had no objective validity. It was just some emotional response that we have, you know, about. So if, if you say, for example, you know, you shall not kill, you know, the moral commandment, uh, Bertrand Russell said that's what that really means is that the person saying that really means I don't like killing. You know, they had this emotional negative mm-hmm. response toward killing. Mm-hmm. So he didn't think it had any kind of objective validity. But then, but then if you look at his own moral stances that he took over the course of his life, he was an incredibly absolutist uh, person. In fact, his daughter, Catherine Tate, wrote a, a book called My Life with Bertrand Russell, and his daughter said that he was an absolutist in his morals. And that she didn't see him as living consistently with, with that either. And I think there's a lot of cases where that's true. I've got colleagues at my university who will... Uh, say, we'll pull out the moral relativism card anytime you try to talk, especially about issues of sexual morality and such. But if you start pushing their particular buttons, whether it be global warming or whether it be, you know, whatever, you, know, you push certain buttons that they have, suddenly they think that there are things that are really good and really evil. <laughs> you know, they just uh, have it inverted very often from uh, what uh, the truth is in some cases. Sure. Well, and when it when it comes to to meaning and rules, uh, Aldous Huxley, for one, said uh, we objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. Right. And you know, some sometimes it it seems that if you if you have a desire and you can reject the norm and reject the system, then that desire can become overwhelming. We 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 haven't talked yet about Epicureanism, but the the idea that one can seek pleasure for pleasure's sake, and and the way that that's ingrained into our culture today is is another aspect of of what we're thinking about, isn't it? Oh, sure it is. Yeah. In fact, I have a whole chapter in the book about the love. Of pleasure, where I talk about you know the Epicurean uh, ideas, and so yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of people, the reason that they're rejecting moral standards is because they are wanting a license to you know live according to their own fleshly desires. So uh, they and they and then we end up erecting these these grand philosophical systems to try to justify that. Then very often in many cases, and so I, I discuss a number of those, such as utilitarianism, which is the idea that uh, that Pleasure is the highest good, which is very similar to Epicureanism, and really influenced by it, too. But I start, sort of start with the Enlightenment period, so uh, this utilitarian ideas, which are still pretty uh, strong in uh, some philosophical circles. Peter Singer, whom some of uh, your listeners may have uh, uh, be aware of, Peter Singer is the, and has an endowed chair at Princeton University. He's a bioethicist, and he is a utilitarian, and there are other, quite a number of other people upholding utilitarianism. But utilitarianism is the idea that pleasure is the highest good and that the only thing that's really evil is what causes pain uh, to the greatest number of Individuals, so I, I do. I spend a good bit of time talking about Bentham, and who's the originator of utilitarianism, and some of his uh, moral views uh, as a result of that. And, but because of his utilitarianism, he he admitted that he did not believe in any such thing as human rights. He even once said that that human rights are just is just nonsense on stilts. That was Bentham's uh, mm-hmm. spin on what human rights are. 
Uh, and so there's no such thing as human rights. There's no objective morality. It's just all uh, based on what the consequences of the actions are there. And so we see that uh, having a profound impact on bioethics today and issues relating to life and death, uh, because if, if humans are just a pleasure-seeking machine, uh, then that gives us a totally different concept of humanity than uh, humans actually having moral agency and uh, where love is the highest moral command. You know, Jesus posited love as the highest moral command, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But utilitarianism says it's all about pleasure. It's all about, you know, seeking pleasure and avoiding pain, sure. which is a quite different moral vision. Well, we're, we're getting, we're getting uh, close to time for a break, so let's, let's come back to, to Peter Singer. Let's bring in Richard Dawkins. Let's think about the new atheists and how Peter Singer's thought about the human and maybe the, the and PETA and others uh, tie into the things that we're talking about. So as we move towards a break, uh, I'd, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, to listen to our past uh, programs. They're also available on iTunes as Hill Country Institute Live. We also ask for your help in supporting this program financially, since the business model of Christian Radio requires programs like ours to pay the stations which carry our program. So please visit hillcountryinstitute.org to make donations and let us know if you'd like to sponsor this program on your local radio station. You can reach us at 512-680-7993 or donate online at hillcountryinstitute.org. For donations over $100, we have copies of Richard's book, The Death of Humanity and the Case for Life. Please stay with us. We'll be right back with more of Hill Country Institute Live. 